Radio Influence. The future is now. As America's zone coach, premier thought leader, and the world's number one coach of champions, Jim Fannin is the go-to person. He has guided the careers of the best pro athletes from 10 sports and business executives from 50 industries. He has coached individuals, families, relationships, and students in simplifying and balancing their lives for more than 40 years. From winning Wimbledon, the World Series, and a gold medal, to losing 68 pounds, saving lost marriages, or overcoming financial ruin, Jim Fannin has been behind the scenes guiding individuals through the intricate process of peak performance. His success tools are not just for the superstar. They're designed to help you reach your full potential as you tap into life's most successful mindset, the zone. And now, please welcome the coach of champions and America's zone coach, Jim Fannin. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Jim Fannin Show. I'm Jim Fannin. My name is Seth Jim's producer and sidekick, and we are so glad to be joining you again here on America's Most Positive Podcast. We're going to have some fun today. So, Jim, we got a lot going on in this episode, but first, what's on your mind? Well, this is a special week for me, uh, and for a lot of people, the Masters, Augusta National, the best golfers in the world. So you know what's on my mind? What is a master? What What is a master? Um, I've learned that a master is extraordinary. Uh, this person is unique. And I'm not just talking golf. It's a rare artist, performer, or player of consummate skill. And this individual is an expert. And, and Lordy knows we need an expert right now in everything in our life. This person's an expert at their craft, and typically it's a person of the past whose work serves as a model or an ideal, a master. This is an individual, Seth, that spent an inordinate amount of time and effort in honing his or her craft. They excel at the basics. They're passionate about their work, and they fully understand the nuances that come with it. a window of mastery open to this individual, and, and this is a rare, uh, an accumulation of things simultaneously. Experience, knowledge, skill, passion, all culminating at the right time and the right place. Uh, that's why the Masters Tournament this week is special. And it's a, a re- relentless pursuit of excellence that brought people to this place and time. So... Uh, overcoming challenges, the master remains true to the purity of their craft. These are the masters, but who is a master? And, and I can think back in my career, the masters that I've met, I can, I can shut my eyes right now. I can go to a concert, and I'm watching on stage in a venue, Eric Clapton, 100 people. Only, and I'm one of the blessed few to be in that audience with his eyes shut, playing masterfully the guitar. Everything was acoustic, and and it was amazing. He took me a ride on his music. But then you think, well, 
who would be a master? I go back to Jimi Hendrix. That's my era growing up. This guy magically stroked his guitar. He, he felt the music and it exploded Seth through his fingertips and it mesmerized audiences no different than how I was mesmerized by Clapton. Um, yeah, that's, that's my era. I think of Jimi Hendrix, uh, master, but all the great guitarists after him dreamed of Jimmy's riffs. Pretty amazing. Uh, again, my era. And uh, on another episode, we'll talk about when I uh, drank bourbon with Janis Joplin, but that's uh, not really <laughs> that gets where its I went. Yeah, yeah, that was not a master performance by me, but at that time. Uh, but, you know, you think of painters. You think of Salvador Dali, Pablo Picasso, Jackson Pollock. They permeated our visual senses. They had delicate touch of the artist's stroke. These are masters, and I go back to helping uh, Romero Brito, a famous South Beach artist. I mean, this guy, Brito, Brazilian, masterful. But who, who did he emulate? Picasso, the master. Then you go back to, to an Emily Dickinson. I, I love to write, but she was the master of the English word. No, Seth, I was not around. I did not personally <laughs> uh, know uh, Emily Dickinson. But her poetry stands the test of time. And it evokes our own mortality. And she's recognized, Seth, as one of the world's top 50 most influential women, uh, a master. Then I've had the privilege of uh, clients like Bob Davis, who was Oprah's uh, photographer. Uh, this guy is amazing uh, in his own right. But you got to go to the master, Ansel Adams, uh, capture the beauty of the American West. I just came back from Salt Lake City and uh, in that part of the world. You know, one glance at his scenes of Yosemite National Park and you immediately know, oh, that's uh, Ansel Adams. And generations of photographers have tried in vain to capture that zone magic, a master of Adams. And then, you know, I, my seminar, uh, I had a great seminar that last week and uh, I was with Veterans First, a mortgage company, amazing group of people, so positive, so energized. And, and we danced during my six-hour seminar. You'll have to come, Seth, one of these. You know, I'm dancing on, on, uh, during the show. But when I think of master dancers, I'm not putting Jim Fannin in that category, <laughs> uh, even though I was doing the Dougie uh, <laughs> on stage. I think of Fred Astaire. You know, how this guy graced the stage and virtuoso dancer, 78-year career, pretty amazing, technical control, astonishing sense of rhythm, and then look who followed his lead. Rudolf Nereyev, Sammy Davis Jr., Michael Jackson, Gregory Hines, Mikhail Baryshnikov. They all felt his influence. He made all of us want to dance. These are true masters. But today, the two, 2018 Masters Tournament, it will be played. And the best of the best golfers are going to arrive, and less than 100 men from around the world are going to gather to test their craft in this tiny Georgia town of Augusta. And one's going to be declared the Master, the Masters champion. And... Um, 
They're going to leave Washington Road, and they're going to turn up Magnolia Lane to one of the world's great golf tournaments, the greatest at Augusta National. And this memorable lane, uh, 330 yards long, it's got 61 beautiful magnolias. I know, I've trekked up that lane, that driveway, 35 years. And I know those trees because I counted them. I, I know it well. And through the entrance, the players are going to walk into a 365-acre compound that's going to encase this 18-hole golf course. Which one, which one will paint a masterpiece on this long 7,435-yard course. Which one's going to do that? Who's going to be the champion? I'm excited about that. I mean, the victor's going to place a white ball into 18 cups with the least amount of shots or strokes. That's what's going to happen. 7,435-yard course. The world watches every move. 80,000 plants of more than 350 varieties adorn these grants. It's so beautiful. It's a religious experience. But Seth, don't let the beauty uh, fool you. Only a master performance from Thursday through Sunday on this treacherous and demanding course in front of the most knowledgeable spectator base in the, wor- in the world is going to wear the green jacket as the symbol of the mastery. So uh, I, I, I'm excited. But who's the master? I, I, I really believe if Tiger wins this week, I'd have to throw him in there as a master. But for my money, in the world of golf, I think there's only one master. And? <laughs> uh, Jack Nicholas. Yeah. I, I watched Jack win in 1986. Uh this guy won the Masters six times between 1963 and 1986. 18 major victories, 70 official uh, tour wins. Uh, and when the moment of truth arrives, the master works his craft. And I, I watched him do it in 86. I got one little story. I've told this before about Jack. I'm, I'm out there. I'm like a rookie. I'm with rookie John Cook. Um, and his first tournament, this was not at the Masters. It was preceding the Masters. And um, he was paired with Jack Nicholas, And Nicholas butchered two, two irons. I mean, didn't hit them well at all. Really errant shots. And um, so the round's over. Cook and I went to the range. Cook's going to hit some more balls. John Cook, who's now out there on the Champions Tour. And here comes Nicholas over the hill, down to the range with a two iron. So he walks down to the range, puts one ball on the ground. It's a perfect two iron. Didn't look at us. Didn't look at anybody. And he turned and he walked away. And I'm like, what? I couldn't believe it. I mean, it's like a starving guy eating one potato chip. That's not going to happen. How many people could hit one two-iron perfect and then leave? And Cook and I just looked at that, and we were in awe, like, that's a master. It's pretty interesting. You know, people believe, a lot of people expect, the master knows. The good believe, the great expect, but only the master knows. So we'll see who's going to have a master performance 
And now I'm excited about our next guest. This is a former client on the PGA Tour. This individual has won 15 times on the Pro Tour, been in the top 10 in four of the majors, all the majors, finished fourth at the Masters in 96, had serious injury, had to retire from the Tour, kind of a forced retirement, Frank Nabilo and has now turned his new career into something very special as the commentator from the Masters CBS, also on Golf Channel. Uh, This is an iconic uh, broadcaster, color commentator. The thing I like about Frank, he tells it like it is. He's so insightful, and now I'm excited to welcome Frank Nabilo. Frank, how you doing? Very good, thanks, Jim. Looking forward to... uh an outstanding masters. Well, Frank, I, I got to do a little housekeeping about you. I know uh, you're at the Masters right now. Uh, what a great week to be a golfer at the Masters. But before we get into that, I, I want to talk a little bit about you and your career, and then we'll talk about this year's Masters. Uh, based on some research that we did, we saw on Wikipedia you're a descendant of an Italian pirate. What's up with that? <laughs> well, every, everybody's going to come from somewhere, Jim. Um, and, and it is a true story. It, it, it is a little bit of political license there, but it's true. And it dates back to the early 1800s. Um, it was a way in those days, I, I guess, people uh, glorified thieves, so maybe for want of a better term. But um, they pillaged their way across. Uh, to what was then known as Yugoslavia and eventually out to New Zealand. And, and some of my forebearers were involved in starting the wine industry in New Zealand. And I sort of continued along. And But it wasn't a boat this time. Jumped on a plane and started whizzing around the world. And uh, you know, my way of um, theft really was, was uh, with professional golf. <laughs> you know, you, you've and got, as, you've got that rebel in you, Frank. I knew it. I knew you had some rebel in you. Very much so. I think everybody should have. It's 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 motivation. Um, you know, I think we all start in different places. I think the rules are the same. Um, we just look at them differently. That's all. But in the end, the, the keys to success are, are eerily similar. Yeah, good fortune favors the bold. Obviously, uh, a descendant of an Italian pirate. That's bold. You taking off. Uh uh, from New Zealand, traveling the world, that was bold. And, and Frank, you know, the, uh, it, it's pretty storied that uh, one leg was shorter than the other. That uh, probably is the root of your back issues that force you off the tour. But you had a lot of success, and uh, you were bold when you came out on the tour. What was it like being from New Zealand and launching your career Facing the unknown, you know, a lot of expectations, but getting started's not easy. How was that like? Uh, it, it, when I look back now, uh, Jim, you know, I wonder why I did it. And I've been reminded uh, just recently, my daughter's embarking on a TV career, believe it or not, with CNN. So a lot of the discussions are about the same things. And at the time when you're young, I, I think you're helped by the fact of, of limited amount of options. Because people forget, I think when you're a teenager, if you're in love with a game or business or just the lifestyle that you you want to get into, often your your op- options are restricted. So it's very easy to put everything into to that particular thing. For me, my parents had gone through a divorce. Uh, golf, in some respects, was a salvation. Uh, it felt like a sport I could throw myself into. It was never going to punish me for hard work. It was only going to reward me. 
And and I'd learned early on that um, it, it was always going to be unfinished business, which life is. Um, I ran into people like yourself along the way, and, and you're, you, you sort of hone your, your own personal skills, your own motivational skills. But in the end, it's always the journey, and I've read it in so many different books and, and lived it. Uh, it's when you enjoy the journey. Sadly for me, I got diagnosed in my, technically my rookie year here with inflammatory polyarthritis. So I didn't get to fulfill my journey, but I realized that that really is part of the, the bigger book, so to speak. And um, and even trying to get into TV, the, the the motivation was the same. It was just a different vehicle. But um, yeah, when I look back, it was I, I was fortunate because there weren't as many options. And, and I actually think that's often the same. We think there are a lot, but, but realize when you realize where you're most skilled at or where the biggest opportunity is, you just focus on that. And, and you did that well. I, I remember when I first met you, uh, one of the first things I said to you was, you know, you're more than a golfer. You're more than a professional golfer. You know, you're a father, uh, a husband, a friend, a son. Uh, you've got uh, other interests, uh, the wine, you know, you're an ambassador for the Nablo House of, of Wine in, in New Zealand, and you, you have a lot of other things, uh, but you're so much more than just a golfer. But what a what a golf career you had. You know, 96 was a great year for Frank Nablo. Finished fourth right there at Augusta where you are. In fact, you finished in the top 10 in every uh, major what, that's an incredible feat unto itself. Um, a, as you come back to Augusta every year, now you're on the other side of the fence commentating. Um, does it still kind of bring up uh, the plain days? Do, do, do you still have a little itch, even though you're not? You know, you've definitely retired from the game. Do you, do you still feel that itch when you drive down Magnolia Lane? No, they don't allow us in that gate anymore. So, fortunately, but no, <laughs> no, oh, you're, no, that you're, is, you're that going is. through the back door now. You're in the back gate. Exactly. I got yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. I learned very, very quickly that uh, when you don't play anymore, you don't play anymore. No, no, it was, it, it's interesting you bring up the edge because that was the hardest thing to, to be involved in the sport from a, from a different side or perspective. I, I found that very, very difficult. Matter of fact, you talk about 1996, I had a chance at the U.S. Open that year at um, Oakland Hills. And when I went back there with the Golf Channel, this was in the early 90s when the Ryder Cup was there. And I just went for a drive on the golf course. And it was probably the lowest moment as a commentator because the visions of playing, uh, they just flooded back. And I was actually crying by the HD, believe it or not. Nobody oh had goodness. any idea what was going on. And, and it was a very cathartic. Uh, moment for me, but it was very important. And, and oddly enough, those words that you said, you more than just that. That's really where I realized that I had another opportunity ahead. And um, it, it was a big turning point. So the itch is gone, but the love for the game hasn't. I see the game differently. Obviously, I see it from its external um, point of view, but I realize it's still a game for life, uh, whether or not you want to play it socially, whether you just want to have a hit on the range, uh, whether you're just trying to get better at one shot or a part or a chip. Um, or obviously like this week, trying to win, you know, golf's grandest prize. Um, or even talking about it. You know, I'm lucky enough I get to, to talk about Amy and Corner or at least part of two thirds of it, eleven and twelve. And I also realize not a lot of people get to do that, but I, I get the best seat in the house. So I'm lucky. You are. You are blessed uh for for as a golfer to to be in the hallowed grounds of Augusta National. It's uh, it is a religious experience. So, you know, if 
golfers are listening, uh, you got to go once. I've been to 35, which is a mind blowing for me. And uh, not as a pro golfer, obviously, but it's still one of those uh, places where the fan base is the most knowledgeable of any fan base. They know every shot from every decade, every tree that was hit or missed or every green and uh, pretty knowledgeable fan base. So to participate there is a big deal. Hey, Frank, I want to talk about the zone because you know the zone. You, you've you put it on like a, an overcoat. You've won 15 professional events. But you've also been in the zone commentating when, uh, you know, you had an out-of-body experience on the air and everybody was telling you how great maybe the commentating was. And you're like, what? You know, and you went back and maybe you didn't even believe you said some of the things you did. Tell me about being in the zone in golf, but also being in the zone commentating, because they're the, the the process is basically the same. Yeah, I used to think, and I think it's important to point out, I used to think it happened by accident, and it did um, early on in your career, because if you have a little bit of talent, whatever your your ambition, wherever your ambition lies, your talent every now and again pops its head up, and you have those miracle days, miracle moments. But then in order to get really good at whatever your endeavor is, you you have to have a blueprint to try and at least get as close as you can to that. And and you helped me kick me in that direction as well. You know, when you uh, steal some words out of, you, out of your own, your own um, life um, to try and, uh, try and attain a high standard. And I think in order to do that, whether it's playing golf, whether it's your intention to practice there, sleep, rest, exercise, even working the golf course out, that you know the devil's always in the details. So for that, in order for me to get into the zone, the, the, the times that I did as a player, and you don't always win, but you, you're pretty damn close uh, because sometimes someone with equivalent ability is, is also having his, his moment. Yep. But that's the fun. Um, that's the fun of getting in. in you'd, you'd rather contest in the fight. Because those, whether it's win or lose, what you do remember the rest of your life. And it's the same in business. Or, for example, as a commentator now, if I do my homework, you know, even if I get my rest, even if I'm healthier, all those things contribute to you listen better, you sense a moment. I remember talking to Billy Packer, the famous basketball commentator who's since retired, and I said, you know, I asked him how he prepared for a basketball game. And he said, I work it all out on paper, you know. Why, which, why this team should beat the other team and how they'll beat them and how they'll do it. And I'm like, well, that's not really enlightening. And then he said, but the most important thing is then I forget all that and I just follow the basketball. And I thought that was so apt when I was getting into commentary because I think you have to do the same thing. Well, actually, I know you have to do the same thing. You do all, all your due diligence, work out who should perhaps win and why, and then follow the golf ball. And, and really, I'm trying to help you, the viewer, your experience, sometimes that's shutting up, especially on a week like this, because you will know the golf course is better. Every bit as good as what I will. If I said the 12th hole, you'll know it's a par three. You know that's where Jordan Spieth lost just two years ago. Um, people will know that. So maybe they have to be cajoled to remembering a little bit of it, but they don't need to be told the whole story. And and that's how you get in the zone in this job. And it was the same as, as, a, as a player. Um, in the end, it's simplicity, but providing you've done your homework. Yeah, I think, you know, once you prepare, uh, let the zone come to you. You can't really go to it or force it. And, you know, the the first hole at Augusta, uh, you know, that second shot, uh, it's like 
placing a ball on the the waxed hood of a Buick. It's it says <laughs> "Welcome to Augusta." That first first shot, uh, and then definitely the second shot into the green. Uh, at that point, uh, you need to allow the zone to come to you. Let's talk a little bit about the 2018 field. I, I know most of the talk right now is well, it, it could be on. Uh, in Poulter, who who had a miracle uh, finish at uh, uh, draining an 18-footer uh, on the last hole at Houston and then eventually went in a playoff, he's played really well at the Masters. He's got to be on a high. He's got to be someone that maybe is the dark horse. Even though he's the last guy to get in, uh, he, he could tran- transition from Houston to here. Talk a little bit about Ian Poulter and his – ability to take Houston right back into the Masters. He didn't think he was going to play in the Masters this year. He did, but he put himself in a position that he's actually more comfortable in, which is unusual for most athletes, and that's with his back completely against the wall. Um, If you look at his Ryder Cup exploits, which have made him famous, especially throughout Europe, which made him a hero, is... He would say, if you follow boxing, he always punched above his weight. So if he was put in the ring with someone who was meant to outclass him, that's when Poulter was always dangerous. If you go back a couple of weeks in the match play, he was trying to blame someone for telling him he was in the Masters when it wasn't. So Ian Poulter plays better with a chip on his shoulder. His wife persuaded him to go to Houston. Even then, he wasn't going to go. So I think the Sunday was, was more a case of proving people wrong. That's absolutely fine if it takes you if it just keeps you in the very, very moment of trying to hit the shot in front of you. So it was picking that fight. The only problem when you motivate yourself that way is it does tie you out. Um, so he's had two consecutive weeks of, of trying to fight the world. Um, that's my biggest concern. He has, you're right, he has very, very good history here. Um, and he'll come in and he'll get the microphone the first couple of weeks, sorry, first couple of days, and you know, talk about it as he, as he has. And then... Um, and then when he gets to Thursday and Friday, it's tough to ride on that sort of energy. That's my biggest concern for you. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. And, uh, you know, plus all the media's talking about him, what he did, uh, how he wasn't going to play. Uh, the media can take you out of the zone if you allow it, talking about the past, talking about the future. That's really not where the zone resides. It resides in the moment. Well, let's shift now to... Uh, a topic that's on everybody's mind in terms of this year's Masters. Let's talk about Tiger. You and I have had that talk privately. We've had that talk before about Tiger Woods and what's expected. Uh, He's not playing poorly. Uh, It seems like he's not blaming uh, his physical or uh, his technical. Uh, what's, uh, What's your opinion of Tiger's readiness for this particular event? We've obviously seen him win here. Well, if you look at the details, he's ranked 103rd in the world. Throw that out the window because we all know he's the most successful player in this field. Um, Then you go, well, okay, what about form? You could argue that he's only played a handful of events. But if you look, if you go back to when he first sort of started picking up the golf club seriously again, which was his own tournament in the Bahamas, um, he has a new blueprint now. Um, He really is the first golfer to go through that many back surgeries and try and get back on track. So he knows it's it's untested territory. But in order for him to succeed, and I remember saying it on the air, he has to achieve certain things before he gets to Augusta. 
and that's have weeks where certain parts of his game shine. They don't all have to happen at once. That would be, I think, unthinkable, especially early on in the piece. But if he had a week where he putted well, if he had a week where he chipped well, then nobody would talk about his yips. If he had a week where he hit his irons well, yep. maybe he drove it well one week. Then you could actually think of, well, if you put it all together, then really he could be a favorite. Um, he's exceeded that. And, and the other thing is he's got to enjoy it again. Uh, and that was the biggest thing. I remember uh, just a couple of weeks ago at the Arnold Palmer Invitation, I was working on a studio show, but I was on site, and I went and saw him on the range. And that look on his eye, I haven't seen, seen it for years, where he really is up for the journey. We're talking about enjoying the journey before. That, to me, makes his, this week so intriguing for him because he's done all those things. He's putted more. You know, he's putted extremely well. He's chipped. He, if anybody still says the word yips, and I think that was more for effect anyway and, and clicks on social media, that's why that was said. If you had back problems, you know that chipping and putting are always difficult. You know, small muscles get controlled by big muscles. His iron play was, has nearly been up, especially the week of Honda was up to its best. Um, and the driver, he's sort of experimented with that, but his power's back. So, so he's actually ahead of the plan and comes in, to, comes to a golf course where he's a four-time champion. It might be you know, 12 years removed from his last win here, but the talk isn't just talk with him this week. The only detraction and the only X that I would put in his column right now, well, two, age, obviously, 42, but taking that out, is, is the timing of the book that's come out to almost put brakes on his, um, on, on his comeback. Uh, I've seen him not hit the ball well, at all, not even find the fairway at Augusta and still win. And I, I, I yep. believe in, uh, you know, 12 years ago, 14 years ago, the mental side of the game, he was by far maybe the most dominant athlete, forget golf, athlete in the world to overcome all the things that he overcame. He got away from the mental side of the game, blamed other things, his health, his uh, technique. Uh, he seemed like he always had excuses. I never heard that before. I haven't heard any excuses coming from him personally in, in any interviews. Uh, if his mental game is there this week, uh, I think that'll carry him through. And uh, obviously the first two rounds are crucial in, in any major. Um it's going to be really interesting to see how well he does. Let's talk about other players. I, I know the par fives are going to be a big deal. Uh, you can go back to Zach Johnson winning 2007. He laid up on all the par fives. Not many players do that. And won in 2007. Uh, but you got to dominate these par fives. You can't let those get away from you. Spieth uh, maybe uh, is peaking right now. Uh, not a bad tournament in Houston. Who are your favorites that you see right now that are poised to at least be in contention this week? Uh, the, the person I'm looking at, or I keep going back to, is Rory McIlroy. Um, Arnold Palmer imitation was more than lightning in a bottle. Uh, I know that he's on course. Uh, when he had his ankle injury, which was away from golf, it wasn't in the gym like people will lead you to believe. It was an innocuous game of playing soccer with his friends. It takes a full 12 months to get over that that uh, that injury. He won the FedEx Cup just after a year after that. Then last year was getting married. You know, there's things that needed to get into place for Rory. Uh, change club deals. He was one of the Nike players, so he got caught in that shuffle. It's taken a while for him to 
to put you know everything back on the table where it should be. He's a great lover of jigsaws, believe it or not. So I, I choose that analogy. He's just trying to put those pieces back. Um, started off fairly well, but still messing around a little bit with equipment this year. And then lo and behold, he got a firm and fast Bay Hill golf course, which is normally a no-no for Rory, but very, very similar to Augusta National. His ability to do what Arnold Palmer did, and that's take an opportunity and just leap forward with it. What he did on Sunday, that 64, I asked him to his face. That goes down with one of his best best rounds ever. And he's had some great closing rounds. 62 at Quail Hollow when he won his first tournament in America. What he did at uh, Congressional. Um, his 64 at the Tour Championship to make a playoff. Uh, he's actually been one of those guys on a Sunday that is extremely dangerous. He, uh, he has played the last six holes at this very golf course better than anybody else. There's only one hole, that's the 17th hole, where he's just, uh, just sorry, 16th hole, the par three, where he's collectively won over par. He's owned the sixth hole here, six, the last six holes. That means he's owned the finish. You've got to finish to win. You do. Um, he, would be, he would be the first European to win a Grand Slam, but he's had that title or that opportunity. This will be the fourth straight year. So he's sort of used to that. And there's enough talk about other players. Being a favorite doesn't phase him anymore. His personal ambition is far greater than that. So I look to him, and if you're going to talk about par fives, when he drives it well, nobody drives it better. Otherwise, if it's par fives you're looking at, Dustin Johnson comes into the equation. A little lack of form over the last month or so. And Nicholson has now come into the equation. He's nearly 200 under par on par fives alone, 194 that, to be precise, wow. at Augusta National. Wow. That that's impressive. Mm. But I, I want to go back mm. to Rory. You believe that his blueprint right now of peaking at the right time, you believe that all the puzzle pieces they're in place. That he that right now he just needs to relax, uh, play his practice rounds, keep his mind clear, and you believe he'll get off to a good start. Not not many people have won wire to wire. I know Nicholas in 72, Spieth in 2015. Uh, it sounds like Rory has that potential to do that and won't be daunted by uh, sleeping on a, uh, you know, on a lead Thursday, Friday, or Saturday night. That's not, that's not an easy thing to be leading on a, on a Saturday night especially. Uh, that's a daunting yeah, task he, for most. It is, and... And should he be leading come Saturday, people will remind him when he had the 54-hole lead here, he was yet to win a major championship, and he shot 80, which was well-documented. And we were going to test the medal of a very young player who'd been highly touted for you know, for probably the next year or two. And then uh, a little less than two months later, he won his first major, which was the U.S. Open. So he showed it, and runaway too. So he showed us that he's you know, he's got thick skin. Um it's been four years since his last major. There has been a few injuries, and not, and he's much younger than a Tiger Woods. So he, none of them have, have really uh, put his career on hold. Married, happy. Um, he's he's a very down to earth guy that is very open and honest in the media. It's it's. I, I would I'd be more surprised if he played poorly this week. I really do. So who else do you believe could be in contention? And could a small hitter, could a could a someone like a, a Zach Johnson, who's not a big belter, you know, uh, uh, can someone still win the Masters uh, that's not, uh, you know, pounding the ball out there like, uh, like the Dustin Johnsons? Who else do you see that's a possibility? Uh, yeah, they, they, they could. But, um, you know, you start going through the field and, and for, for example, a Sergio Garcia, that type of player always, always does well here. 
Um, but he's a defending champion. So then you look at the runner-up last year, Justin Rose, who, who has to be um, considered as one of the favourites, also the fifth player in the world. Um, Jordan Spieth played well at the right time. He struggled with the one club that normally destroys the rest of the field. That's the putter. Should Jordan start to make a, putt, a couple of parts? I mean, he has a phenomenal record here in just his first four starts. Could be, could be a twice Masters champion. Has a great stroke average. Um, I, I think you are, you know, looking at the usual suspects there. But Bubba Watson, you would throw in. But with regard to a short hitter, there's really no such thing as a short short hitter on the PGA Tour anymore. <laughs> that is, that's but, the know, truth. Yeah, I mean, what we think is short is like a bad putter. When you when you hear like a, no, oh, he's a bad putter. Well, bad means, well, it would be the best in any club in the country. Just not at a halcyon level that we expect here. Um, you know, you go back to Zach Johnson in 2007 and Trevor Immelman even in 2008. Um, while they weren't short, short, there was also weather conditions that helped. If it rains and the course plays soft, believe it or not, that actually helps the shorter hitters because they're used to hitting longer clubs. The par fives don't give in as much to the longer hitters. The winning score goes up, and therefore it does let more people in the equation. At the moment, they've had perfect weather leading up to it. Um, you know, the thought of that storm on Wednesday is about the only thing that could detract. I, now uh, I just, I, I, Frank, I just uh, saw a weather report uh, less than a half hour ago that there's prediction Saturday, 57 degrees rain, uh, and that's obviously moving day. That's that's a crucial day. Uh, the field yeah, is that's the curveball. Cut. Yeah, that's the curveball. When you start, yeah, that that's that's the thing that a shorter hitter needs. You you need that other variable. But if it plays, if it plays firm and fast, which they still have the ability here, then then all of a sudden longer hitters going with shorter clubs. Shorter clubs means you can stop it quicker. These this is very much a second shot golf course. There's flags that you simply cannot hit at if you're going in with a longer club, or uh, or the greens are, are too firm. So you know, that's why it plays generally, and it always has. Into the Palmers and necklaces, and then the the Woods and Mickelsons, uh, that's, that's why it's always gone that way more often than not. You know, one of, one of the things I noticed at the Masters more than any other tournament I've been involved with is players thinking about where they don't want to be. I don't want to be mm. le- there. I don't want to be here. They're thinking the negative. And a lot of times that happens right off the bat on hole number one. You know, this is where I don't want to be on my second shot. Uh, it can easily roll off off the green, but that mindset's not a positive mindset. I, I think that has to be done. Uh, you need to know where you don't want to be on Monday, Tuesday, uh, but you need to have positive thinking and eliminate that. Talk a little bit about that mindset because I've never seen it more than any tournament, uh, but the Masters players talking about where they don't want to be as opposed to where they do. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah. That- I think that's a great discussion. Um, if you consider the opening tee shot there, it seems quite expanse. Uh, but for Tiger Woods, he spent half his time going down the ninth fairway with a Paul Hook off the first tee. That bunker just sits there, takes a little bit of the mind's eye. And it, it appears a relatively big target. And then if I can, and if you'd indulge me just for a minute, if you can remember Mickelson's famous six iron on the 13th hole, the par five from the pine straw, he had a sliver of a gap. So on one one shot, you have a very, very low chance of success, but almost one option. And on the opening on the opening tee shot, you have this huge expanse, and yet you see more bad shots in that situation when there's so many choices than you do when you only have one option. So I think that answers your question. Augusta here often, while well, you get to choose, 
in the end, you have to be so finite with your aim. Now, even if that's 30 feet away from the flag, the second shot into 14, which is a huge green, but it has so many humps and hollows, you can actually land with one of the hole locations when it goes on the right. You can land the ball 30 feet to the left of that, but there's a ridge that will take the ball all the way around to the hole. Players know that. But in order to hit that ridge, you have to be specific. Now, it's a safe side of the green, but it has to start off on a certain point. So, yeah, yeah I, the, sometimes we say a conservative target, but you have to be accurate. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I think that on any level, uh, if you're 30 feet away, um, accepting the fact that three to four feet is fine, but that doesn't mean you just stand up to the putt and roll it. Um, it, you're accepting that it's a very, very difficult part. You still go ahead on your normal routine and process, and you look at the part, you respect the part, and you try and you try and make it ahead a really good part, but maybe it's the holding speed. And then when you get up and you realize it's three and a half feet away, it's, it's a good performance. That's all. And, and I, th- I think there's two things that uh, are, are requirements to win this event. One of them is listen to your intuition, and it's only going to whisper – typically once and that that's choosing that right club or in between clubs and what shot you're going to hit it's not this is where you get into trouble with talking logic thinking logic uh thinking about the past that can happen in five seconds in your mind but that intuitive voice it's real-time information that your conscious mind doesn't have Intuition is going to play a, a big part in this victory. And then the second thing, Frank, you got to be decisive at the Masters. You know, you, you can't be indecisive about hitting a shot. You're going to be in trouble. Talk to me about being decisive out here. Well, I, I have a living, breathing um, example of that. One of the players that I'm working with this week is David Duvall, who I've known for you know, 20 plus years. Matter of fact, the first time I ever played with David was in the 96 Masters final round. But fast forward, David had a chance to win. I, I can't quite remember the year off the top of my, uh, uh, my mind, but it was the 13th time. And he was in that exact same situation. He was flicking between five and six on. Ken Venturi had the call. And um, I think he, gra- he grabbed five and he was thinking six and he Miss hits the shot, goes in the lake or Race Creek, and that's it. That was the end of his. Uh, I think he still might have finished second or third, but it was it was a chance, and he knew it, and he, he just could not make up his mind on that shot. I mean, he would. That's one shot he would love to do over in his career. He still went on to win a major championship, but uh, could have easily been a multiple. Um, when we talked about Mickelson just before about uh, thirteen second shot, he's a natural gambler. That's part of his personality. So when he sees a shot, um, the, the tendency for him is to want to take it on. Well, sometimes it's bad, even though it's a risky shot, is, is for a caddy to take his player away from that because his yep. intuition is screaming that's the shot. And and that's when your percentages actually rise. It might appear to all of us a risky shot, but his body's telling him he can make it. Um, why would you ever want to go away from that? And and sometimes you know we, we actually... In a very what we think is a very logical fashion, we take our minds away from what we know we should hit. And that's where Tiger Woods has dominated for years. He listened to that inner voice and did oh, all the time, yeah. all the time. And then he mm. he stopped doing it. He started becoming normal mentally in terms of thinking and uh, uh, going with logic. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to see who's going to have that intuitive shot this week, that one that makes a difference. And um, 
this is going to be a great Masters. There's a lot of individual stories, and there's a lot of butterflies. Talk to me, lastly, about the butterflies as you get ready to tee it up. You've teed it up at the Masters. And, of course, we know the butterflies are just your body getting you ready for the zone, but no matter how many times you played it, the butterflies are going to be there. How are nerves going to be on that opening day? They're, 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 well, that's what you missed. To be honest, at the time, it's frightening. I remember the first Masters I ever played. I nearly skipped my tee-off time. I, uh, Billy Casper was in the group in front, and uh, I quickly went to the bathroom because I, w- I was struggling a little bit with my nerves. And um, you have so much energy. Uh, you, you, you feel like you could play 36 holes in a couple of hours. It, it's, it's, it's such a high-lighted state. Um, and when you stop playing, that's what you miss. It, it, there's always a reason when you wake up in the morning to go out for a game of golf, especially in a major championship. And it's it's something that you know Michael Jordan in a in a playoff game. Um, now he misses a shot on, as he would say, on a number of occasions, but they're never scared to make it. We just talked about Tiger Woods. Um, we, we the process they go through, and admittedly, I hate that word process because it sounds so manufactured. Because each shot is so individual, but they would they would always be up for the challenge. And, you know, the, we often only remember the successful ones, but they will keep taking that challenge because their nerves will get them excited each and every time, and they will still take that shot. But when that shot comes off, you know, it, it rings not only in, in, in our minds for a long time, it stays with them forever. And that's what makes an athlete an athlete. It really um, does. It, it's, those it, mo- it's a drug. Yeah, it's those moments of truth when the next move or non-move is going to dictate what's going to happen. That's what really excites me about uh, the Masters. Frank, I've seen you as a champion golfer. I've been with you as a champion golfer. My hat is off to you. You made a an amazing transition uh, to the top of the game in commentating. I think you're the best, and, and I, I'm not just trying to blow smoke here. I, I really do because you're brutally honest. Uh, you can ruffle some feathers. Oh, well. You tell it as you see it, and um, and you you know how to let the zone come to you on the air, and that's not an easy transition from being a player to now being uh, on the outside looking in as a commentator. Uh, you you really had the blueprint to do that, so uh, it, it's been fun watching you in your career. I appreciate that, Jim. It's been uh, it's been well worth it. It's uh, yeah, been well worth it. Well, listen, get in the zone this week. We're going to be listening to you. We're going to be watching you. You get in the zone. And thanks so much for being on the Jim Fannin Show. You're always a welcome guest here. You know that. Thanks a lot, Frank. Thanks, Jim. I'll be be trying to get all my ducks in a row this week. All right. Get in the zone. Talk to you later. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Wow. Frank Nabilo. And, you know, Jim, you did touch on it. But just to recap, his masterful, you know, approach to letting fans in on the game of golf. Everybody sitting at home on their couch watching any given sport says, I could get up there and talk about that. It really takes a zone performer to be able to bring in the audience and help them have an amazing time. And this guy's been in the zone as a professional athlete and as a commentator, and he just brought us all into the zone to be able to watch this tournament. Oh, I'm fired up. I mean, I I know I coach Frank as a player and, and as a commentator, and he's awesome. He never disappoints me. He is so intelligent, so insightful, 
and so willing to give and share uh, what's really going on behind the scenes. I mean, just when he was talking about Sergio and his injury, he knew the backstory of what really happened. And uh, that's someone that not only does their homework, but he's got the respect of the players because he's a player's player, you know? He, he, he's a guy they know knows this game. So they're, they're going to share with him some insights that they might not share with another commentator. Yeah, and you've been around sports enough to, you know, to second the fact that as a commentator, if you don't have a good relationship with the athletes that you're sharing with the audience, that, that's not going to go real well. Uh, and so he, he is in the zone in every facet of this tournament. Oh, yeah. Uh, Frank's uh, an amazing human being. But, you know, like I said to him, he's so much more than even a commentator uh, or so much more than a golfer. I mean, this, this guy's a real true champion in everything that he does. So, uh, you know, father, husband, uh, friend. Uh, he, he's a, one of the good guys. I, I love talking to Frank because he's going to tell like it is, which I love. We're, we're going to check out who's in the zone, but I've got, I've got to throw one quote at you here impromptu that I actually heard from this weekend. I had, I had a friend say to me, I really like golf, but why does it have to be so hard? <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to tell you, it's one of the most difficult uh, things in sport, not just the technique. It can be very complicated. You think, come on, I can hit a golf ball it's not even moving i played baseball i you know i can hit a fastball i can hit this golf ball but the thing about hitting the golf ball is that uh you know especially with the longer clubs there's a lot of things that can go wrong in the swing and tension once it finds itself anywhere in your swing it's going to result in something that you don't want as opposed to something that you do want so that's one aspect of the game the other aspect of the game that's a long time, five, six hours. And a major is going to be closer to six hours. That's a long time to keep your mind in check, uh, to keep your mind from not going into the past and replaying what you just did. It, it's a long time to keep your mind from evaluating and coaching yourself in every swing. And, and it's a time when most people and most golfers, amateur golfers especially, and even pro golfers, especially this week, are going to be victims of a poor lie or victims of uh, whatever the situation, victim of the condition, um, victim of the circumstance, but also a judge. And you've got to go out there and not coach yourself. And like Frank said, you've got to clear your mind once you're prepared, of course, and allow the zone to come to you so your intuition can really guide you. And that's going to be a masterful test. It, this is the ultimate test in golf. I, I've got to say that that line that you guys shared about, you know, Tiger being the one who listened to his intuition when everybody else went, oh, well, I mean, I think that, but maybe I should sit here and stew on it for a moment. Oh, it's easy to have logic, second guess everything and be logical. And, and your caddy can be logical, but you've got to have that presence of mind to even overrule these great caddies and, there's going to be masterful caddy performances out there. But, you know, you got to listen to your gut. Let that overrule what anyone else says or thinks and even roll, overrule your experience. And that's going to be a challenge. My experience says do this or that. My intuition says do something else. Well, your intuition is real-time information based on our research that your conscious mind does not possess. 
It's going to be a fun zone week. And of course, the, golf is not the only sport that's been in the zone this week. We got to give a shout out to Notre Dame uh, women's basketball national champions. Woo! By three points on a last second shot. You know how what? fantastic. Well, I, what a great season. Uh, they've been near the top uh, the whole year. Uh, they were one of uh, number one seed uh, getting into the final four. But to win it on a last second shot, what a great year. Uh, hats off to Notre Dame, the fighting Irish. You were definitely fighting Irish. And you fought through a lot of things during this season. So kudos to you for winning a national title. That's exciting. Going to bounce around sports here. I, I do think we have to give a shout out. Baseball just got going, so you may not have seen a, a big narrative emerge yet from this season. However, Giancarlo Stanton just let the city of New York know that he is in town. Uh, I have arrived. I'm here. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of uh, managers and uh, a lot of players. He is going to hit some miss hits that are actually going to go out in Yankee Stadium and, and that short right field porch. Oh, my goodness. He's going to hit some shots that he can't believe went out. So uh, could he hit 60 home runs? Oh, my goodness. He might hit 75. He might break the record. Uh, and then to have uh, Aaron Judge in front of him, uh, what, a, what a nice, uh, pleasant thing for uh, Giancarlo to have because he's – Obviously, someone else that can hit 60 home runs. That's, uh, that Yankee lineup is formidable. It's going to be interesting. It's the lowest they've had their payroll, which is still a monster payroll. Uh, it's going to be interesting. We'll see how their pitching holds up. I don't think it's that scary of a pitching staff, uh, but their power lineup, is, it's going to be second to none. A lot of experts are calling it a Cubs-Yankees World Series for 2018. And based on what we've well, seen so I, far. I, I think there's a lot of fans in Houston. There's a lot of fans in Los Angeles with the Dodgers. Uh, my money, uh, and I, I'm, I'm not biased on this. I, I'm always a Cubs fan being from Chicago, but I've got to look at L.A. and go, mm, man, they, they need to have a chip on their shoulder. They've had the best winning record in the last four years. And uh, I think they've got a chip on their shoulder. They still have cringe, uh, Kershaw. So uh, it, it's going to be really interesting. But that's what makes baseball fun. And who knows? It could be the Pirates. What? The Pirates or the Phillies. It could be someone that we not even think about. So that, that's why I like about baseball. Yeah, probably one of the perennial powers, probably one of the teams we're talking about. But 25 men can get in the zone. They can all play. And, and we'll see who does that collectively. I'm looking forward to a great Major League Baseball season. Hey, I got to give a shout-out to the Fighting Illini men's golf team. One more thing about golf. Mike Small, uh, this year the, the, the team is fell out of the top ten. They're perennial top ten over the last decade. I've been working with them. But Mike Small, kudos to you. You got your team in the zone at Augusta a tournament the weekend before. Uh, recently, they won the 3M Invitational in Augusta. Uh, Dylan Meyer was the medalist. Uh, Garden, uh, one of their uh, uh, younger players, uh, hit a scorching 66. They closed like champions. They won this event. Uh, that's going to push them back into the top 10. 
uh, typical Mike Small getting his team ready at the right time and at the right place. And, of course, there's a new Jim Fannin show episode every week, but that doesn't mean you have to listen to just one a week. If you go back and start listening through some of these past episodes, there's some fantastic stuff there for you. That Mike Small episode, you can go back and download that one. Uh, I highly, highly recommend that. One other arena that we're going to shout out to that was in the zone way back on Valentine's Day weekend, but has just stayed there for weeks and weeks and weeks, so I think they deserve a special shout out. Black Panther is now the 10th biggest movie of all time, and they've made $1.3 billion, and they just kept staying in the zone, and they're... The movie's in the zone for so long now. we got to give it uh, one more And ride. rumor has it you've seen the movie three times. <laughs> I helped that wow. movie get into the zone. Wow, you did. You put them over the top. <laughs> well, I saw it, loved it. My wife wanted to see it. Uh, and then she's pregnant. She fell asleep during it. It's like, oh, we got to go one more time. Uh, yeah, let's talk about that. Your family, you're in the zone. You're going to yeah. have a baby. Six months from now? Wow. Game changer. Uh, that's a game changer, and I think later today you're going to find out uh, male, female. We are. Wow. And, and I, I got to say, there, there's this guy I know that I, I kind of hope he writes more about parenting now that I'm going to be one. There, uh, he might what, even be in the room with me. Uh, that is my next book, Parenting in the <laughs> Zone. No no question about it. Congratulations. You know? Uh, thank you, thank you. Pl- yeah, <laughs> th- 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 even though uh, we're giving all the kudos to Amanda <laughs> and, and not you. I know you were participated, but uh, anyway, that's another subject. I'm excited for you, Seth. I really am. I, I think uh, having your first child, having any child, is, is pretty, pretty blessed event. So uh, you're going to be in the zone. The other thing is 13 years from now, you're going to be mentally ill with your teenager. Uh, thank goodness uh, I don't have any more teenagers. My 19-year-old turned 20. Is a 20-year-old uh, Yeah, is a 20-year-old. Thank goodness. Well, I got to give a shout-out to Villanova. I, they were my prediction uh, to win. This is a team that set the record for most three-pointers in an NCAA tournament. Most three-pointers, I believe they had 18 in one game. Uh, Everybody on that team, I think, even the uh, manager of the team, the student manager, I think, can shoot three-pointers. This is a team that really kind of took the Golden State Warriors, Steve Curry approach. They're launching up three-pointers. It opened up uh, the middle for their big guys. Uh, What a masterful performance they had. So... uh, a big shout-out to the Villanova team. Uh, you deserved it. You're the best in the country, and you are definitely in the zone. You know, and if I can summarize all these, we, we've been in so many different arenas, so many different worlds for who's in the zone. And just the fact that all of these clutch performers, they're doing the same five things, and they had a well-defined blueprint going into the situation. So, you know, I... I Felt a little sad, but also I was happy for Michigan. Uh, you know, we saw him play against Loyola here in Chicago. We were on fire for it. And that last minute of the Final Four, man, you their defense was perfect. And you know that that came out of well-defined goals and practices and, you know, even down to practicing individual steps and reactions. Well, you know, we, had, like yeah, we obviously had Chicago uh, just locked in with Sister Jean and the you know, the whole thing uh, uh, about uh, God intervening uh, on uh, Loyola. Uh, just to get to the Final Four is an amazing feat. They played an amazing first half. 
but you're right. Michigan locked it down. Great defense. Really unsettled uh, Loyola. And, and then just started making some big shots. Uh, so down by 10 points, came back and, and really had a resounding win. And then, of course, went on to win the national title. Uh, this has been a fun time uh, for sports. Uh, there's a lot going on. But you got to look at your own personal life. Do you have a blueprint? And, and why did I name the book The Blueprint? Not a blueprint, the blueprint. And it's the only blueprint that works hand-in-hand, literally, with how the mind works and how the body works. And over 2,500 people, we're approaching that now, uh, on a personal level, have used the blueprint. Frank Niblo, our guest on the show, has used the blueprint to really make a transition from his playing career to a great commentating career on CBS and obviously the Golf Channel. So if you have that blueprint, look at it at least once a week. Go to higher ground. Determine which part of your life that you need to bolster, whether it's personal finance, whether it's being a significant other, or it's your business. And know that avoid putting all your happy eggs in one basket of your life. And, And we're all guilty of doing that especially in our formative years when we're trying to make a mark in our career, we put a lot of happy eggs there and we neglect a lot of other parts of our life. And I've made that mistake as well. But I I don't want you to make that mistake as the listeners and the Zoniacs uh, that follow our show. uh, Find that simplicity. Find that balance. Yeah, you'll peak at the right time, right place, get in the zone in your business. But you're more than that, and you need to have that simplicity and balance in every facet of your life. And that's the point of the book. And, of course, we are starting the second quarter here. So if this is new to you or if you've just been listening but you haven't jumped in to become a true Zoniac by creating your blueprint, you can grab Jim Fannin, F-A-N-N-I-N, the blueprint right now. Amazon.com. You can check out jimfannon.com. You can check out your local bookstore, which some of the local bookstores have gone through a couple runs. Hopefully it is uh, restocked there. But we did just start the second quarter. And I just think about what a huge difference in my life having a blueprint is. 2017 started the year. We hadn't met. I didn't have a blueprint. 2018, I did. I was trying to think back to my 2017. And could I remember just trying to keep it all in my head and, you know, kind of a life of, of chaos in some ways? What were my goals for that year after the first quarter of the year? And I don't think last year I had any idea after three months where I was at. Well, you know, nothing great happens without a blueprint. And and that's 2018. Nothing great out of 2018 is going to happen to you without a blueprint. And as we're coming, we're right now starting the second quarter, April, May, June. So it's these 90, approximately 90 days Go to the end of that. It's now July 1st. You're starting Q3. What did you accomplish in Q2? Do the B to A principle, which is one of the tools in the Blueprint book. What have you accomplished? And when you visualize what you want, see it in a macro. We're not talking, well, I'm getting a haircut. I'm going to the cleaners. We're talking macro items, big rock items, I I call from the book. 
and see what you want as if it's so and see it as it will be and reverse engineer from the end of June all the way back to the 1st of April. And that illuminates a pathway like a runway at Chicago O'Hare at night. And it pops. And then have self-awareness. That's the second driver in the the entire score system. And and it's the driver, one of the drivers in the book. The first driver is visualization. See what you want as if it's so. And only what you want as opposed to what you don't want. But then once you have that blueprint, now you have to be aware and be aware when you're off, be aware when you're not disciplined, when you're not focused, when you're not confident, because these little tips that when you're not relaxed and not enjoyment, you're going to start getting little cues. Other people will be able to see them, but it's more importantly that you see them, that I'm now talking a little bit negative or I'm feeling a little bit of tension. Uh, I'm starting to feel a little bit of stress back up into my life as opposed to flowing energy away from me, or I'm not having as much fun. So have your blueprint and then be aware. We're all awake, Seth, but we're not all aware. Be aware of the negativity in your life so that you can move around it, move over it, or burst through it. We're all going to have challenges, and especially if you have a lofty, ambitious vision of what you want, you know, the the more abnormal your dreams, you're going to have to think more in an abnormal way. You can't think like everybody else. You really can't. And extreme positivity said it's possible. We have free will to have any thought we want to have. So have your blueprint, set it out. No rules here to be successful. So whatever you put down, I'm cool with that. But then be aware when you're on course or not on course. And um, uh, also, it's the first uh, day uh, or two in April. Have your greatest April ever, ever. And um, no rules there. I'm looking forward to the best April I've ever had in my life. That's for sure. And of course, we've got one more piece to look at as we've looked at all these clutch performers. Let's go back to golf one more time. Jim, you say that all golfers need to play golf in the zone. Well, golf in the zone is going to take what you have to its highest level. That may not get you to the Masters. You you may not have the swing, uh, the putting stroke. Uh, But if you get in the zone, it's going to bring the best scores you can with the game that you have. That one word that I think every golfer has to have, and it's the one word that uh, every golfer better have at the Masters. Ready? Next. So as soon as you hit an errant shot, that one word in your mind, next, next target. What's my next target? So if you're walking to your errant tee shot and you're going into the rough or maybe into the woods, all you care about, not you're not replaying that negative shot. All you care about is where is my next hula hoop size target? And if it's a putt, where's my next toothpick size target? Next, keep the energy flowing. So that's my uh, tip du jour for amateur golfers, but that's a tip du jour for everybody that's teeing it up at the Masters this week. 
you know, I, I haven't played a lot of golf in my life, but you got you and Frank Nabila have gotten me so hyped up. I'm like, oh, I want to go play golf. And then I remembered it's 26 outside the studio here in Chicago at the yeah, moment. It's a, yeah, it's a little chilly. Might it's a, wait it's a, a little, little chilly. You're going to have to get on that plane, head to Florida. And you say that that every everybody who loves golf has to see the Masters one time. Well, you, you know what? It, it's I've been to 35. Uh, 35, my first Masters, I remember buying a pimento cheese sandwich on white bread for a buck fifty. My 35th Masters, I remember getting the same pimento cheese on white bread, and it was a buck fifty. So the, the food at the Masters, even a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, it is masterful. It's simple. It hasn't changed. Now, the pro shop, the prices have definitely gone sky <laughs> yeah. high. So the pro shop's a different deal at the Masters. But the one thing I realized at the Masters, there's no running. I actually got flagged uh, and, and called uh, uh, an official about 20 years ago. There's no running. And at one time, I had followed one player in the morning, 18 holes. I followed another player, 18 holes. So I'm I'm walking uh, on that course, probably I'm into my 32nd hole. And I went over and I sat down on a hill and I actually laid back for just a second. My back was hurting me and I kind of laid back an official I, within seconds came up. There's no laying down at the Masters. And I'm like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> that was 20 some years ago. I'm like, oh, all right. There's no running. There's uh, There's no negativity. Uh, the only negative thing you'll find at the Masters is that the men's bathroom line is extremely long. Uh, women, you're going to go right in. There was a very male-dominant crowd. Uh, but that might be the only negative is uh, you need to plan your bathroom breaks in advance. Don't wait till the last second. But it is a religious experience. The most knowledgeable crowd I've ever been around, and they know every nuance uh, of every hole, of every player decades ago not not just current stars um and it is beautiful oh my goodness it is one of the most beautiful places i've ever been in and you know and when you're there you don't think about the news you don't think about you don't think about anything i mean you're in the moment you don't think about your own personal life you don't think any challenges uh, there's no phones. You're not allowed to have a phone on the golf course. That's another story. When I actually snuck one out there, I was chased again <laughs> by two officials. I was on my phone. Shame on me. That was 20 years ago also. And I hid in a porta potty. That's another story, another time. But there are no cell phones. So you're really disconnected from everything, but just world-class golf and the most beautiful, iconic flowers and trees it's just beautiful so it's it takes you back in time you know when you're there you could be 1949 or 1989 or 2029 you know it's going to be the same it's pretty amazing place everyone needs to go at least one time would you going to jump in the mailbag but a quick just heads up here you may be at a spot where you're ready to go to the next level because we talk about being the master of your craft and being the master looks like achieving a high standard day after day week after week month after month and you may have something that as jim would say is just a pebble in your shoe you can't get around it you haven't figured it out you can go to jimfannon.com right now 
and book a one-hour coaching session, F-A-N-N-I-N.com. Uh, you've actually, people requested this for years and years and years and years, and 2018 is the first time it's ever been available. I, I've never done this, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I've already been on a few calls, help people make some swift adjustments. It's amazing what we can do in one hour. You know, I'm just telling everyone, be prepared. Tell me your situation. You can email that to me in advance. Uh, so they give me a little bit of heads up, but I, you know, I've coached 50 industries, sales, management, leadership, uh, 10 pro sports, every amateur sport. Uh, so, uh, and also I've written a book on relationships. So the, no subject really off limits, Seth. So uh, give me a call. Uh, it's very confidential. That's obvious. No uh, subject off limits. And I'll make some pretty strong recommendations to help you get into the zone. We always go out of the Zone Cafe, but first we're going to stop by the mailbag here. Ask Jim at jimfannon.com. Ask Jim at jimfannon.com. We're going to hit on a quick question here. Hey, Jim, I know it's time for a new job, but I tend to get really nervous during job interviews because I feel like I'm on the hot seat. How can I correct course on that? Well, my first instinct is to reverse the process. Interview them. Be prepared to interview the company instead of just sitting there and you being the interviewee, you're the interviewer, and ask them questions. Where are they going to be in five years? What is their mission? Uh, what is their plan? How do they onboard? Tell me about the first 90 days of the job. Uh, tell me about the team that I'm interviewing for. Tell me about the leader of that team. Tell me about him. What are his strengths? And I, I think you're going to probably uh, blow the person interviewing you away. And I bet they're unprepared uh, to answer those questions. Uh, but I, I think you, this is a two-way street. It's not a one-way street. Go in interviewing the company. You're going to decide whether you want to be with them or not based on your interview with them. It's going to tell you a lot about the company. And it's not just about you. One plus one should equal more than you just getting a job. You're looking for a career. So one plus one should equal three or 10 or 50. Is this the place you want to be? And, um, and, and if you're nervous, uh, know that it's probably not nerves. It's the butterflies. And we know from research that's your stomach, uh, uh, capillaries, blood vessels, constricting, diverting the blood to the brain. So you have clarity and you, you can ask great uh, questions and also give great answers. But also the rest of the blood goes to the large muscles so you can be in a positive, animated uh, interview. Uh, so you're not nervous unless you think you are. Uh, it's just your body ready to get into a zone state. Um, and then clear your mind. Uh, as Frank Nablo said, you know, when the tournament begins, uh, just clear your mind. Listen to your intuition. And if there's a question that just pops into your head, ask it. Even though logic may say, mm, maybe I shouldn't ask that, I would ask it. And again, uh, by flipping the script and interviewing them, I think that'll take a little pressure off of you. And of course, we always go out on what you need to have the best first week of the best April of your life. I'm going to do a quick setup here, Jim. Just before I walked into the studio to record, I'm, I'm pulling up to the studio. I actually got a call from um, one of these scammer things that claimed to be my bank. And I, I hung up on him pretty quick, but you know, it, it took me out of the moment, right? And I'm coming in to 
to really help you give the audience what they need. And I realized that right then, oh, score check, need a little optimism. Let's get back in and get ready to do the Jim Fannin show. And it, it was just that much. It was just a little five-second correction. And when you're aware of your score level, you can do those little things every day, which is why, you know, you always give people what they need to, to go out into, uh, into the week. Well, uh, let's, let's talk real quick about self-discipline, concentration, optimism, relaxation, enjoyment. I, this, we discovered five markers, Seth, in 1974. It was doing a research project with little children on how to maximize super learning that's kind of the irony of uh, my whole career or how I got started really with understanding how you and I, uh, and of course your newborn to be, yes. <laughs> uh, will learn more in the first 60 months of life than the rest of their life accumulative, which is really amazing. But these five markers really, uh, they make up your overarching attitude about any given thing. So you have self-discipline, concentration, optimism, relaxation, and enjoyment. And you're responsible for all repairs, and it works as a domino-like chain. So when these five markers are all balanced at a high state, the zone arrives. And it's all chemically based. And there's five, six, seven different chemicals based on these five markers. And once they flow into the bloodstream, uh, your eyes double, triple shutter speed, let you slow things down. Uh, it, it's designed to let you look for avenues of uh, opportunity, but also avenues of escaping from a situation or condition you, you probably don't want to be in. Um, it's going to help your concentration and focus. It's going to help your confidence go from just believing to knowing, which we talked about, uh, only a master knows. Um, but it's also going to help us relax, and the awareness of not being relaxed. Seth, I've been traveling the United States a lot in the last couple of months. In, in, in 2018, I've been on a lot of airplanes, and I got to tell you, it, it's the most stress. It's the most negativity. It, it's listening to people talk about what they don't want. And I want everyone listening. Reverse that in your own life. That doesn't have to be you. Maybe that's a friend. Maybe it's a family member. Be aware of it. Uh, but you need to know the weak link in your score chain here. And again, you're responsible for that awareness. And uh, so right now, get in your car mentally. You're driving up to the Zone Cafe, and we're cooking some awesome high levels of self-discipline right now the willingness, commitment to stay with a task, to reach a well-defined goal. And if that's what you need, uh, Seth will pass it right out the window to you and you can drive away. If you need discipline of fleshing out that blueprint and staying focused with strategy and tactics, you need a plan, well, stop right there. That's what you need. But maybe, maybe you have a plan. Maybe you need to focus. Maybe you got too many balls in the air. I, I know in my seminar last week uh, in Salt Lake City, we talked about concentration, about how many people think they're great multitaskers, you know? And I, I don't think there's such a thing as a great multitasker. The best in the world, the masters can focus on one thing and they get it done. They have accuracy. They have quality at the highest level. 
and they're focusing mental and physical energy on the task at hand, really locked in. Now, if you need concentration, I think we have a bucket of that, don't we? Some hot concentration. We do have a bucket right off the oven. Oh, yeah. So order that. Seth will put it into the window of your car. But maybe, maybe you need something more than your belief. Maybe you need more than expectancy. Maybe you need a sense of knowing. Maybe you need to walk around if you're 5'11, walk around like you're 6'11. Maybe you need to have that inner confidence that what you have is enough. That there's nothing greater feeling to realize what I got's enough. I don't need more. You know, we're all trying too hard. But maybe what you have is enough. And if you need that feeling where nothing can go wrong, man, we got a big slab of optimism in, in the Zone Cafe. We'd love to cook up that for you. But maybe, maybe, maybe you're not relaxed. Maybe you're worry too much. And if you're a worrier, oh, you got to get uh, a plate full of relaxation. And if you're a worrier and, and you've got some fears and you have some anxieties and you've caught yourself thinking about some negative stuff and you're just a little uptight, you're kind of unsure, you know, you may be pushing 20 breaths a minute. 20. If you're over 20, uh, you get up to 30, you, you're going to be breathing into a paper bag, you know, hyperventilating. The best in the world, especially during a moment of truth, Seth, they, they can get their breathing down really deep inhale, really long exhale, get their breathing down to six to eight, definitely below 10 breaths. And if you need relaxation, we got a tall, big drink with a fire hose like straw to give you that peacefulness, that calm, that mental and physical ability to just chill and relax. You know, when you're at your best, you look effortless. The best in the world, they look like they're not trying. Whoever's going to win the Masters this week is going to be in a flow of that calm energy. It'll be purposeful, don't get me wrong. Oh, they're going to have discipline and focus. But their body is a slave to the mastermind. So if you need a big old drink of uh, relaxation, you pulled up to the right place. But maybe, maybe you need the happy meal. Maybe you need to be aware that, you know, I'm not laughing a lot or I'm not listening to music in my life. Uh, one of the things I did in my uh, Jim Fannin experience uh, in, in Salt Lake City was I, I played my happy song. You know, my song, my heart song that really makes me skip and makes me laugh and enjoy just being me. And we all need that. Do you have a heart song? Do you have that smile on your face? Are you looking things that, that make you happy? And if that's what's missing, you need to skip and laugh and dance a little bit more. We got a happy meal of enjoyment. That's that satisfaction or pleasure of executing tasks that lead to goals that take you to that vision. So place your order. Now, Seth, I, you, you place your order before you got in. And now that you're in, now that you're going to be a father, what, what would you order? You know, I'm going to go ahead and go self-discipline for this week, uh, you know, because we're, we're actually finding out the, the gender shortly after the show. So I'd say optimism, relaxation, enjoyment. Man, this is going to be a, a wonderful evening. 
And then tomorrow, you know, I kind of change hats and I'm right back at it. And I want to be self-disciplined stepping in, uh, you know, into that so that I can be the best I need to be in each one of the well-defined arenas of my life. Well, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I want another booster shot of optimism. I, I'm the eternal optimist. There's no question about it. I, I don't have negative things. I want even more confidence because I want to help people that don't have that confidence. And I, I want that confidence to, to really give me an edge on, on reading what's needed for someone else. I, I really take full responsibility for my clients and me helping them and saying the right thing at the right time. Uh, and I know when I have confidence, I'm listening to my inner voice. I'm listening to that intuitive voice that whispers. And, um, and I, I want to have the confidence to always say it instead of just thinking, God, you know, I, I was just thinking about that. How many times have we done something, Seth, where you go, oh, man, I knew that. I knew the answer on that test, or I knew that was a six iron instead of a five iron. Why didn't I pull the trigger? Or the baseball players, he goes, you know what? The catcher put down a curveball, and, and my mind said fastball, and I went with the catcher, and uh, that curveball is uh, still rolling Oh, 400 feet away uh, from Giancarlo uh, knocking it out of the park. And shoulda, coulda, woulda, uh, you know, uh, we want to get past that. What do you need? So I, I'm, I, I'm looking for even more confidence if I could have more. I'm always looking to be better uh, than I was yesterday. So drive up to the Zone Cafe and you can come here anytime. You can come here just for one part of your life. Uh, today we're having you drive up overall what you needed. And I want you to have a zone week. Let's get the month of April rocking. Let's get the first quarter cooking uh, for you to be your genuine, authentic best self. And look, if you, if you like our most positive podcast, share it with people that you believe need that boost of optimism, that boost of confidence. Share it with family members. Share it with your friends. You're going to find out that by giving to others something that they may or may, may need, they may not know they need it, but they need it, uh, it's a boomerang. It's going to come back to you, and uh, it, it's going to be probably one of the greatest selfish activities you could ever do, giving to others. So we'd be honored for you to give uh, the Jim Fannin Show to your friends, family, or coworkers. You can also check it out on iTunes, leave us a review, and uh, of course, one way to, to share it is to hit it, up, hit it on social media. And all those things are going to help the other people in your life get into the zone. And of course, we always go out telling you the same thing every week at the end. Be in the zone, everybody. It's the only place to be. I'm Jerry Petuck, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist, so thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. 
All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. 